and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Janie Lee Grace. She's an Amazon number one best-selling author, speaker and was co-presenter on the UK's biggest radio show, BBC Radio 2, Steve Wright in the Afternoon. And also, she was a backing singer with Wham. How about that? Janie is passionate about encouraging people to ditch the booze and focus on great nutrition, self-care and finding their purpose as she found for herself that quitting the booze was the missing link in the holistic living picture. And don't forget that I've partnered up with Coach Helen Bennett, who specialises in helping people stop overeating. If that sounds like something that you could use a little help with, then I'm going to recommend that you watch a new masterclass. I think you're going to find it massively helpful. You can find the masterclass at helenbennett.co or on her Instagram at Coach Helen Bennett. The link is on her bio. Now on to the show. I really hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Good morning, Janie. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. It's an extra joy for me to have you on the show today because we're going to it a little bit later, but how we met changed everything for me as well. But as we all know, uh, we like to start from the beginning. Uh, and I'm interested as well because I've known you for like five years now and I don't know your backstory so well. So firstly, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's great to chat to you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, and you're such a big force in the sober community. So I'm, I imagine everyone's really excited about hearing your story. And let's go all the way back, Jane, as we mm. like to do. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think a lot of people probably have heard me say that I didn't ever have a rock bottom moment. So I haven't really got any of those kind of prison cell kind of stories. But for me, it was more a case of years and years and years and years of going around the same goddamn block. So, you know, I would I'd go through a phase where I'd realise this is bizarre, that this has to stop. This is this is too much. You're drinking every goddamn day. And yet you're meant to be this kind of uh, queen of natural health. So mm. for anyone who doesn't know, you know, I, I mean, I have written five books on natural living. I was a number one Amazon bestseller before it was, you know, even a thing particularly. Um, and I sometimes joke that I was kind of talking about coconut oil and kale before they had their own publicists. You know, I was I was really ahead of my time on all the natural health. And when I look back now, I think, what the hell were you doing? Because I was stepping around this massive elephant in the room that was alcohol. So somehow I was living this persona of being absolute queen of natural health. Everything you eat, everything you put on your skin, how you clean your home, your, you know, fabrics being sustainable. I mean, I was way ahead of my time in all of that stuff. But I just somehow thought, oh, well, the alcohol doesn't count. 
because everyone does it, right? Because it's what everyone does. Um, so I saw that as my treat. And then as time went on, you know, it built up and it built up. I think to start with, I genuinely was a normal, if there is such a thing, I hate that bloody word, but, you know, normal, in inverted commas, drinker. Uh, thank God I didn't start too early. I'm grateful for that because with all my years in the music biz, I was I was drinking, but not very much, really. Um, but then as time went on, it ramped up. And particularly when my kids were young, um, that's when it really ramped up. I think at that point, um, I had a bit more money. Um, I was super busy. The kids were full on, you know, four kids and trying to work. And I saw that as my treat, my release, if you like. So whenever I had childcare, it'd be like, oh, wow, me time. You know, let's pop to the wine bar and, and, be, and have a grown up drink. This ridiculous kind of concept in my mind that that was my treat and my reward. And literally it went on for years. And as I say, I never had a rock bottom moment, but I was waking up pretty much every day at 3 a.m., pretty much every day. And that voice in the head, you know, would say, what are you doing? Stop it. Yeah. When you say you didn't start too early, let's wind it back even further then, like from growing up. Like what, what was it like for you in your family home? So my parents didn't particularly drink, not because they were holier than thou, just because, well, and I, actually in reality, I don't know that um, a lot of people drank at home in those days. So my dad would go to the pub. Um, so, you know, thinking back, he may or may not have been drinking too much. It's hard to know. My mum genuinely would have a sherry at Christmas, um, and, and think that was, you know, um, very naughty and tipsy kind of get tipsy kind of thing. So, um, there was nothing really in the background there particularly, but there were a lot of issues in my background, you know, just, just, just moving on to some, you know, other stuff. Both my parents had mental health issues, very, very serious mental health issues. So I was very insecure. And actually, in truth, I think that's one of the reasons I didn't drink early. And it's one of the reasons I never, ever took drugs, ever, despite going through, you know, God knows how many bands and being fully immersed in the music industry. I never, ever tried so much as a, a drag on a cigarette. <laughs> I mean, never. And I think the reason is because I somewhere deep down had this sense of not knowing that I couldn't really lose control. I couldn't really be completely out of control. So I did see people on tours, obviously, um, who were out of control with drugs. Uh, and it really scared me. And I knew that if that happened to me, I would never safety net. There'd be nobody to pick me up, nobody to, to, to come get me at the end of the night. Nobody, no safety net. You know, I saw, I saw, I had a friend who ended up in rehab and her parents paid for her to go to rehab. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, nobody would pay for me. So I'm not going to do that, you know? Um, so I, I think that probably saved me in a way. So I, I actually really didn't start really drinking till probably till I was at university. And then, and even then I, I didn't, I didn't overdo it. I, I probably just didn't make me feel that great. So I didn't overdo it. So it really didn't ramp up till I was, I don't know, probably in my thirties. Yeah. Right. So when you, when you, um, say in the music industry well i want to go on to that a bit later about the, the latest wham documentary which i've seen twice now i absolutely loved it because it's that was great, my era it? as well mm. you know growing up in the 70s and 80s and they were such a huge band so what got you into the music scene and how old was you so i was um so straight out of uni i worked with um 
Mary Wilson and the Wilsations. So that was the first band that I worked with as a backing singer. Uh, so I was, I, I wanted to be in the music biz and I just was, you know, going for any gig going really. And, and I got uh, the gig with uh, Mary Wilson, which was fantastic fun. I mean, it was just amazing. Um, and I was actually with uh, Julia Fordham. So, so that was really cool. Of course, went on to be hugely successful. Um, so I did. I did a, a few tours with um, Mary, and then um, it was really funny actually because Mary fired me because I wouldn't cut my hair and dye it bright yellow. And at the time, my hair was naturally blonde. I thought, oh, God, I don't want to bleach it, dye it chicken yellow and cut it really short. That's not me. So I offered to wear a wig, but they said, nah, we want somebody with um, chicken yellow hair. So she fired me. We're really good friends now, by the way. And I, and I, I worked with her later down the line. But at that point, I was devastated. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I don't have a gig and it's all just because of my hair. So, so I felt really stupid. Um, but around that time the um uh drummer in the band actually i think felt really bad for me um said oh you know something i've got a mate who's just about to be a tour manager for this new band called wham you know did you see them uh, on top of the pops well of course i did you know everyone did right um so i rang the tour manager and um went down and, and did an audition. They were kind of very loosely auditioning band members. I went down and did an audition. And the MD said to me, well, yeah, you know, I, um, it sound, sounds great. I did, did a little test. It sounds great. But, you know, it's not quite right because we, George and Andy, I think they probably want really established musicians and they want a vocal section. So a, a, a section already working together. So I thought quickly and said, well, that's no problem. I'm part of a section. We work together all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't know where that came from. So he said, great, bring them down. So I kind of get home and ring up two other session singers who I'd barely ever worked with and said, okay, right, here's the deal. We're a section. Let's learn some harmonies and let's give it a go. And we got the gig. Absolutely wow. incredible. So that's how it started. Where was your first gig then with working with them? Um, so the very first Wham gig, I, I'm, I'm almost certain, was the one in Glasgow, SECC in Glasgow. I'm almost sure was the first one. If it wasn't that, it was Aberdeen. It was definitely up in Scotland. Um, we did a bunch of rehearsals. Obviously, they had to get the tour together quite quick because the, they were already a hit and they needed to get a show out there. So we, I always remember we, we didn't know what we were wearing for the first tour. Um, and we, literally, they wouldn't tell us. They just wouldn't tell us what we were wear it's like, oh my god well, do you want us to pack what and then eventually they said oh well uh andy's done a, a chatted up and done a deal with feeler feeler sportswear and myself and the other backing singer were like oh well that doesn't sound very glamorous <laughs> i kind of i fancied one of those nice dresses shirley and pepsi are wearing you're gonna put me in a bloody air text top and shorts oh god um but they still hadn't told us and then we arrive at the theater and literally on stage in the theatre was like 50 boxes, massive boxes of feeler sportswear, sportswear. And it's like, all right, go and grab your T-shirt. Oh, you have to be kidding me. I mean, you probably saw on that documentary, we looked terrible in them. Everybody looked terrible in them. <laughs> but that was what they wanted. So um, so it was great fun. We made it What work. an absolute experience <laughs> because, you know, like we're similar age, aren't we? And mm. Growing up in that era was just so fantastic. You know, Top of the Pops 
was was it Thursday or Friday night at? Yeah, I think seven. it was Thursday, wasn't it? I know. Yeah, I used to I live at the top of the park. Seven o'clock every mm. single week, and I've heard by many people that the studio is actually tiny in there. It is, yeah, it is tiny. Yeah, it is. It's it's, it's really tiny. You, 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 it looks huge, doesn't it, when you watch it on telly? Yeah, it's tiny, and that was a funny one for me as well because I um, I'm kind of moving forward a bit, but I never got to do Top of the Pops as a backing singer in those days just the way it worked out so mary wilson would go on and do it and she wouldn't take backing singers uh george and andy would do it but obviously they'd just have shirley and pepsi dancing um then i worked with um a, a, bun- a bunch of artists i worked with boy george for a while i worked with kim wilde for a while i worked with a whole bunch of artists and i never got asked to do top of the pops and i was absolutely gutted mm. But there was a little bit of me thinking, oh, maybe it's because I, maybe I can do it on, on my own. And then later on, when I had my hit, I did Top the Pops for the first time with, uh, with Cola Boy. So it was really cool, actually. I finally got the dream <laughs> much later. Yeah. And so when did you land the Radio 2 gig then? So I was doing, already doing, um, ra- I started doing radio after the after the wham tours and after i was still doing session singing stuff but i guess it was about probably late 80s um i i realized you know uh, actually i wonder if there is anything else i might want to do as well i was i was still working as a session singer doing some of my own tracks and i had um i had a, a dance track out with paul oakenfold and 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 it did really well in the dance charts and so we were doing a tour or i was doing a tour of radio stations around the uk and i went to one radio station i can't remember where it was leeds i think and the guy said oh my um co-host hasn't shown up do you want to hang with hang out with me and um I don't know, read some stuff and do some traffic and do some weather and all of this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, why not? And I really enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, God, that's something else I'd love to do. You know, I, I thought I couldn't do anything other than sing. And actually, I love this. This is great fun. So I, I came back and I just kind of, I was just open to, I had no idea how you might go about that. And then I heard an ad on what was then GLR. It's now BBC London. And it was an ad for people to train to be producers, radio producers. And I thought, well, that will do. Um, so again, a very long story, which you probably don't want to go into, but I applied, I got that little uh, training course, went and did my training, offered to work um, to help someone out at, at GLR. And that led to me presenting a gospel show on GLR. Uh, and then from there, I went to Virgin Radio. I was at Virgin Radio for six years. And then I left Virgin, did my own show on Radio 2 first, which was an early Saturday morning show. So I was literally up through the night. <laughs> Great fun. Um, and, then, and then literally moved on to Steve's show and did it for 24 years. I can't. Bloody I can, I can only even realise that because of, of the age of my kids. Otherwise, I would have, I'd say, oh, I did it for about 10 years, but it was 24. And that, that's uh, incredible. So you were in your 30s when you started to realise... With your drinking, was it just like grey area yeah. drinking at the time? Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. As I said, I didn't ever have a rock bottom, but I was drinking most days. You know, when the kids were, as I say, when the kids were young, it was pretty much every day. And then every now and then it would be like, you know, there might be a lunchtime thing as well at, with, with, uh, with, with work. You know, in those days, people just went to the pub at lunchtime. It seems incredible to us now, doesn't it? I mean, really. But, but we did when we were at GLR. We'd, I'd, I'd be in the pub with Chris Evans at lunchtime, you know, um, regularly. Uh, and, and when we were at Virgin. So there, there was quite a lot of drinking went on. But 
but it was a, it was controlled in inverted commas. It was I was functioning. Nobody would know that I had a problem, but I knew, and that literally went on for years. I had some periods when I stopped. I I stopped during the pregnancies. I stopped uh, for about eight months. What at one point um, I read uh, Jason Fell's book, Kick the Drink Easily, kind of NLP'd uh, into stopping. So stopped for about eight months. Then I had another bout where I'd stopped for three months, but always the wine witch would come calling and I'd just head straight back into it um, because I'd somehow get this idea in my head, well, you're not that bad. I mean, you've just stopped for eight months, so of course you're not that bad. Don't be ridiculous. Of course you can have one. And then it would all start again. That's a typical grey era drinking pattern, isn't it? Really is, uh, Externally yeah. as well, everything looks fine. You're managing life, turning up. Nicely yeah. dressed and positive, smiley. But it's the 3 a.m.s where you're laying there exactly. thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to get away from this? This is, you know. And, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? You say about no rock bottoms, which on paper is what happened to me. I had several rock bottoms. But even that alone, the, the psychological feelings of those regular 3 a.m.s is is the like a, a mini rock bottom in your life it and is. that because you can't at the time you don't know how to get out of it no i i, I really didn't feel like there was any way out uh, i didn't think there was anybody else who was like me i genuinely thought i was the only person who felt that way i of course i knew that there were people who were alcohol dependent and really suffering and needed help and support I knew that wasn't me. I was never going to rock up to to an AA meeting or, or, or go and ask for support. That just was not within my realm of thinking at all. Um, and, and, and I knew of plenty of other people who drank, but they never said they had a problem. I mean, I now realise many of them would have done and do. Of course, I realise that now. But at the time, nobody but nobody spoke about this. So I had no idea that Anybody else felt the same way. I thought this was unique to me. I thought there was mm. really something wrong with me yeah. um, that I couldn't, that A, that I couldn't stop, you know, that I was drinking too much, I couldn't stop. And B, that I, I didn't seem to have a handle on this, even though I had a handle on pretty much everything else, right? It, 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 it just didn't fit. Nobody was talking about it. Well, that's, that was my C there, is like not being able to talk about it because we do look fully functioning and exactly. we're looking after the kids and we're doing all this. So to have that conversation, I feel like I'm drinking too much is, is a difficult thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I did try it a few times. I'm sure lots of people have heard me say that, you know, I, I, I did mention it to the GP. I went for something else. I went for a vitamin D test, I think. And then on the way out, you know, yeah, she was really nice and we would, it was chatty, a bit different in those days, you know. Um, you had a little bit more time. And so I mentioned to her that actually I was a little bit worried about this. And the response was just, well, oh, you seem fine, you know. I mean, have an alcohol-free day. I mean, oh, my God, if I had a quid for every time somebody said that. Like, I hadn't thought of that, right? Yeah. Have an alcohol-free day. Oh, what well, great idea. Okay. You know, not when you're caught in that trap. So that kept me stuck for years because came out thinking, oh, thank God, Every, I'm fine. Everything's fine. She thinks I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then I saw loads and loads of therapists. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I find this really hard to say because I really value the work that a lot of therapists and healers do. But with this one, many of them, certainly back then, were not clued in. And this is not a judgment that they should have been alcohol free or they should have, you know, been a, a, a shining light. I'm not. I'm not up for prohibition. I just wish, and I still wish, that 
more people who are in professions where they're meeting those, you know, people like I was who are confessing and, and admitting, okay, I'm a little bit worried. The answer needs to be, great, great, you've identified this. Let me see if I can find something. Let me see if I can signpost you to uh, one of the communities, to one of the people on Instagram who are talking about this, to a podcast. I'll just see if I can signpost you somewhere. That's all it needed. But what was always simply said was, oh, well, I mean, how much are you drinking? And then I'd lie. And then they go, oh, well, yes, sounds I'm say I'm saying, you know, it's fine. Just um just have have a bit more water, you know. One one therapist told me just switch the wine to vodka. And uh because you know that you won't drink quite as much, it's a bit less fattening. Oh god, that kept me stuck for another two years. Yeah. That I, I <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And but do you know what? Some people who work with me still say that when they go to the doctors, the general census is to reduce. Just try oh, yeah. reducing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hate that. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the the vibe is, oh dear, poor you. You're having problems with with alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Oh dear. Well, how can we how can we help you make it more acceptable? That's yeah. the general consensus. You're dead right. Crazy. I know. I had one. You know, I had one sober club member who went to her doctor, told her doctor she went for for I don't know what some ongoing issue, told her doctor that she'd been alcohol free for three months. And he said, oh, how big for you? Or, you know, <laughs> how, how smug? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What's that about? But, you know, they're drinking too, aren't they? And as I say, I'm not trying to be judgmental that they need to change something unless they want to. But there definitely needs to be more awareness. Absolutely. And the signposting is where it needs to go, I think. More resources available yeah. to say, you know, why don't you try this, try that, try that? Because people go there for help, not to be told to reduce because if we could do that easily yeah, we'd, we'd have thought of that. done it <laughs> wouldn't exactly, we exactly so moving on slightly so you were a grey area drinker and you probably reached many times that you thought I want to knock this on the hair but along came a very special person Claire Pooley, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, dead tell us right, about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, um, so I was working on on uh, on Steve Wright's show on Radio Two, and so we often interviewed authors. And usually, if we interviewed an author, we would get their book the night before the interview, if we're lucky. You know, sometimes on the day, uh, you don't get a lot of time to to, uh, to 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 go over stuff. But on this particular occasion, it was Christmas, and uh, we were going off on a break for two weeks. And so the producer handed me on, I don't know, something like December the 20th, Claire Pooley's book, The Sober Diaries, and said, oh, have a glance at this over Christmas because we're going to be interviewing the author on January the 3rd or something. And I, I'll always remember, I looked at the title and I think I knew right there that something was going to change. So obviously I didn't read it before Christmas. I mean, I didn't want to ruin my Christmas, right? So I, I uh, drank completely as normally over Christmas. And then I started reading the book. And this was the first time, or it was the right time for me, that I'd ever come across somebody else like me, like me, not at rock bottom, you know, not completely fine, but, you know, busy mum, job going, you know, professional person, but, but seemingly okay, but drinking too much. Mm. And, and reading Claire's story and, you know, the, the ups and the downs and the reality of it. And then getting to the kind of piece where she, she started to describe 
that I, I just got an insight into, for the very first time ever, that life possibly could be better without. I'd never had any concept of that. Before, mm. I'd always been thinking, well, if, if I manage to do this, you know, yeah, maybe I'll be able to struggle through. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll still be able to meet friends. I don't know. But I, I, I'd never considered it could be completely okay, even better. Um, so that was that. I stopped um, straight away on uh, December the 30th. I uh, didn't even wait for New Year's Eve. Drove to the New Year's Eve party, so got over that one. Um, figured I would stay uh, off the booze till I met Claire, which was early January, then met Claire. Of course, she was so lovely and so supportive. Oh, well, um, I, be I better at least do dry January, right, uh, in her honour. And then we kind of stayed connected. I had no other support at that time. In fact, I didn't even tell anyone. The only person I told was Claire. I felt such shame. It was, I, when I look back now, it's bizarre, but, you know, I didn't feel shame when I was drinking but I really felt shame when I stopped. I suppose I was able to look at it all. And so I, I, I did try January, stayed connected to Claire. And, and that's when I was somehow, despite not having any connection or any of the stuff I now know is important, I somehow managed to just keep going because I could catch sight of that better life. So I'm very grateful to her. <laughs> I remember you saying to me, actually, that um, – I went the other way to you is that when I stopped drinking, I literally came out the closet immediately and went, da da. But with, <laughs> with you, you, you held it in for a long did. time, didn't you? I, did. and I almost didn't tell anyone at all. It was eight months before I properly, properly, um, sort of came out and shared my story. I wasn't going to share it at all. And is that because you felt ashamed of? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was I, I, I really felt ashamed. I think once I could see it, once I could see the, the absolute ridiculousness of, 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 of drinking too much. Of Once I could see how much harm I'd done to myself and, you know, potentially everybody else in, the, in my wake, yeah, I felt real shame. I, I, think it's a, I think it's quite common. You know, I now, I now try and really support people who go through this thing of the – sometimes it can blindside you. I had one client who was doing really well three, four weeks into sobriety, and then she said to me, Oh God, I was driving along and these memories came flooding in, things that I've not thought about for years. Something, something, some things I said, something I did to someone else. I, I feel so terrible about it. I'm blindsided by it. I had to just park the car and, and cry. And I don't know what to do with that. That shame, that guilt, that it's, it's an absolute horror, you know. And really the answer to that is in those early weeks and months, you can't do anything. You just have to recover yourself. Yeah. You have to get used to feeling all the emotions. Can't actually go back and make those amends at that point. Yeah, I agree with you. And I always say to people that, like, manage the first few months, the practical side of giving up drinking, you know, like the yeah. socialising, what to say to people. And then after a while, start to then explore the emotional side because yeah. it always comes to get you. And with, with regret. There's not a lot you can do to change the past, right? It's about accepting it. And you can apologize to some people if they're still in your life. But the rest of it, you have to think, I wasn't the best version of myself back then. Absolutely. I was, you know, I was under the influence of a highly addictive drug. Uh, and now I'm doing my best to move away from that and to be the best version of myself. And that's how life is, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it took me a long time, really, 
to be able to recognize that alcohol was the issue because somehow, you know, again, despite being relatively bright in other areas, I hadn't grasped that piece. I somehow had thought, right, I was the problem. It's not alcohol that's the problem. It was me that's the problem. My ridiculous lack of willpower, my awful addictive personality. There's something wrong with me. Because all the articles I read said that alcohol was great. In fact, alcohol is allegedly good for you and good for the heart and all that BS. So I, I somehow hadn't quite grasped that logic piece. And so I, I had to go back and, and, and put that in place and really learn all over again mm. that, as you say, it's a totally addictive substance. And that's what I was under the influence of. That's what, what, what was happening to me, as it happens to so many people. Um, and when you, can, you, when you can become aware of that, you can let yourself off the hook. You know, now I, I, I do, you probably know I, I, I work with Family Constellations. It's the most amazing, incredible modality. One of the things that we talk about in Family Constellations is this, 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 this phrase, you know, it's not what happened to you, it's what you made it mean. Right. And we can't go back in time and and change what we did or said, but we can change what we've made it mean now. Right. We can, it doesn't have to identify. It doesn't have to define us anymore. No. So, no, you know, I I'm, love I, that. yeah, it's, it's, it's a really big one. Um, and the other the other piece we talk about in Constellations a lot is this whole idea that for anyone with with kids or or, or, or any, any family members around them, anyone close to them, um, who they've got this terrible thing, feeling of, oh, my God, what have I done to that person? You know, what have I done all those years? And, and in Constellations, you know, we say the more work you do, the less others close to you have to do. Yeah. Because they will, they will benefit. They will be impacted by your energy and by the changes you've made. And yeah, okay, maybe you, you know, I look back and I think that's my only regret that I didn't stop sooner. I so wish I'd stopped sooner, um, you know, that, so that my kids didn't have to have that impact of, 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 of me drinking. But, you know, I can't change that. Um, but now, now it's changed. Now I'm modeling a different behavior. Um, and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but also the timing might, wasn't right if it was earlier and you might have gone back to drinking. So we are where we are. But yeah. I want to move on to um, the January after. Yeah. Um, when, because um, I think we're about just about a year in between or whatever. Uh, when I became sober and I had no clue whatsoever what to do, right? Because I'd had it drummed in my head that um, not drinking is boring, you know, that narrative. And I was like, well, I've drank 40 years now. I have no idea what to do. So I went to AA um, because that's the only thing I knew at the time. Mm. Um, and after four or five meetings, I just felt in my gut that it wasn't for me. And then I was scrolling through Instagram and I'd followed like the Rock Sober Boys, Claire Pooley, William Porter, Alcohol Explained, and you. And then you, you put this post up about this event in Dalston at the yeah. Jago. And I looked at it and I thought, Hmm, that looks good. But even agreeing to myself, I was going to go to it, getting on a train sober because I'd have had pre-drinks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so I, I rocked up there and I didn't go in for ages. I was late then because I, I didn't have the courage to go in, but I went in and you were there and the rock sober boys, Claire, all talking. And afterwards I chatted to everyone 
And I left there like a different person, re-energized. I had education because of the talks. And I didn't even know who anyone was then because it wasn't my area, was it? It was like, I don't know who Claire Pooley. It just looked good in the thing. But I remember getting back on that train and there were some blokes swinging off the handles on the train. And I'm thinking, I'm sober. It's 11 o'clock at night and I've just had the best evening ever. And do you know what, Janie? That, that changed so much for me. Because afterwards, I stayed connected. And as we know, the saying, uh, connection is the opposite of addiction. And some people don't understand that. But for me, I was so lonely in my addiction that I didn't need to be lonely in my sobriety, you know. And connecting with people that didn't judge me, they understood me, I could tell them anything about where I was. And they go, yeah, I get you. I hear you. It was so yeah. important to me. So yeah, I want to thank you absolutely. for that as well. Because no, well, that- I mean, of course, I remember very much, you know, I remember very well you coming along and just how sort of fragile you were at that point and, you know, quite nervous and asking lots of questions. It's a really big thing when you go to your first sober event, isn't it? Because you kind of think, oh, my goodness, what are people going to be like? Are they going to be, you know, in inverted commas, normal? And and, yeah. and, and it's a, I was terrified when I went to the very first thing I ever went to. And, yeah, I do remember, I very much remember you coming along and, you know, and and – and you're absolutely right. When you start to talk to other people who've been through similar things, it makes all the difference in the world. That connection, other people, are, and, and the, that sense that others have got your back, you know, that they're going to kind of hold you accountable and, and be there to, to, to support you. It, it makes a massive difference. So, yeah, I've, I've, I remember those, those, um, those events. They were really great. We were very fortunate. We got some great people um, to come and be interviewed and come and join us. And, um, and, and yeah, we were lucky that, that somehow it got picked up in, I don't know, Eventbrite or, or whatever. So we got, I've had a bunch of people come down. Yeah. And, and what's great is that I'm like really, really good friends with William now. Like yeah, I, I, know. I met him the it's other great. night actually, because um, I was in Ealing recording my audio book and he lives in there around oh, there. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, great. Uh, and, and we had a drink together and a laugh and we've done a few lives and stuff. And so we've become really good friends. And, you know, the Rock Sober Boys, unfortunately, things didn't work out for them after, you know, they were completely ripped off in business and that. And I didn't and, know that, actually. I didn't yeah, realise that. They're, uh, they've had a really tough time. But we, we you know, WhatsApp. Every now and again, we're going to go for a curry in London and stuff. But yeah, the community is amazing. But back then, it reminds me of the old days when I was in the carpet game, um, when the reps used to turn up uh, in pinstripe suits and Mercedes. And it it had a different vibe back then. I don't know if it's just because I was a newbie or what. I don't know. But it it kind of feels it's changed. But change is always good. Um, And you know, it's a wonderful place to be for people that are really, really nervous. You do your thing, I do my thing. But I wanted to say as well, Janie, in those, so you celebrated 2000 days, right? Which is incredible. Um, five years, seven months. In that period, we all know this, this journey isn't linear. Ha- mm. Has it been straightforward for you or have you had ups and downs? Um, it depends what you mean by by ups and downs. Life doesn't become perfect, you know, when you stop drinking, obviously. I think 
possibly a lot of people think it will. <laughs> you know, they, they, I, when I first stopped, I genuinely expected to have masses of energy, be sleeping well, have dropped two stone in weight, look fantastic within you know a couple of months and I was really fed up that that wasn't the case and the early months for me were not easy at all um I didn't sleep well I had a whole bunch of kind of physical things that seemed to not be great uh, if, if anything I felt probably less well than I had perceived I'd felt before so that was a bit of a shocker you know I now realize it's because I wasn't doing the right things um but that was quite tough I had no idea who I was anymore I mean I really mean that I just I didn't know who I was. You know, I, I now realize there's this whole piece around finding your sober identity, you know, sort of stepping into who you really are. But at the time, it was very difficult meeting, going to, I, I didn't stop doing anything. I went, carried straight on. I just didn't tell anyone. So I would rock up to everything that I would have already done before, you know, whether that's, I, I remember going to one awards ceremony. I had to stay to the goddamn end because I was presenting something. Oh, man alive it was absolutely painful hour after hour after hour of just everyone around me drinking nothing to drink for me other than I could if they would strain themselves to make me a an elderflower cocktail for 15 quid or something mm. I oh great thanks everyone around me was um was was drunk it, I was so bored so just if I just had no idea who I was, it was really painful and I had to stay to the end. And I, and I remember thinking, Oh God, this is torture. This is absolutely an awful experience. Um, but you know, I, I, I learned from that. Um, I certainly didn't uh, go to anything else where I was going to be surrounded by people who were drunk and stay till the end. I would make my exit early. I would take my own drinks if they didn't have any, you know, I, I, I got wise to those things. Um, but so the early weeks were, were hard. Weeks and months were hard for me. Once the, the joy kicked in, as I, I, I sometimes describe it, once the light bulb came on, hold on a minute, I'm starting to feel like I know who I am again. I'm starting to feel a bit more balanced. Everything isn't perfect in my life, but I have a sense of balance. And as soon as that kicked in, I think with it came a new sort of uh, resilience almost and a new clarity. So, so now when things happen that aren't great, I deal with them differently. Mm. So my anxiety levels are completely different. My, my stress levels are different. So, you know, so it depends how you look at ups and downs. Um, yes, I've had all the ups and downs that people have. Yeah. Um, of course I have, you know, I, uh, lose, you know, and ending my BBC work after 24 years was massive for me, you know, absolutely massive. Uh, you know, so so that was a really big one. I, I dread to think how that would have played out if that had happened to us, uh, you know, six years ago. Uh, but uh, so, yes, of course, there's stuff. Um, but as a person, I feel centered now. And yeah. I'm unbelievably grateful for that. Well, with sobriety comes clarity. And with the clarity comes being grown up. Exactly. You know, yeah. I feel like I've grown up. And all the decisions I make are with a level head rather than, you know, I used to make some terrible decisions. Like I was talking to someone the other day about eBay purchases. Yeah. Like when I would drink, I would wake up in the morning, wonder who I'd text, but then look at an email and it'd go, you've ordered this. Oh, no. And <laughs> it would be like, I don't even remember looking at that. What am I talking? And it could be a couple of hundred quid, you know, wow. and it was too late to do. So interesting 
l- looking back at how different I was. Yeah. So what have you got going on now then, Janie? Well, I'm pretty busy. Um, so I do, uh, I run the Sober Club, as you know, which is a community for, you know, uh, the sober and the sober curious. We focus a lot on well-being. It really is um, about creating that life, you know, that you don't have to escape from. Um, as you said before, you know, being the best version of yourself. So I, I, I now combine all my well-being stuff. You know, for a while I was kind of keeping everything very separate, but I now realize there is no separate really. So often when people stop drinking, they do start to want to really do the well-being stuff. Um, whether that's the, the food they're eating, the skincare, the mindset, the meditation, the finding their purpose, whatever it is. So that's kind of my really big passion is, um, is running the sober club and working with, with people who want to kind of, uh, level up their well-being. Um, obviously I do one-to-one coaching as well. I do the family constellations work, which I love. Um, and I'm now doing, um, sober coach training again, all based around the well-being piece which, uh, yeah, it feels really exciting. Um, obviously, I do my podcast. Thank you for being a guest. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was on it twice, actually. I know, one I know. one was in the back. beginning, I think, when I, I was a newbie to it. Um, I was grateful to come on, but I was a bag of nerves. Cause I didn't, <laughs> you know, and look at you now. Look at you now, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's uh, evidence of how it changes your life. And, totally. You know I, know, I quite often go on about the medication I was on. Um, which was evidence of my poor health. Yes, uh, I know. I, Isn't it incredible how yeah. that changes? And um, recently I had a blood test and my cholesterol's always been really high. So through changes in diet, uh, I don't eat processed meat. I don't um, eat rubbish, in fact. Um, I drink a lot of water. I exercise. It's gone from 9.1 down to 5.1. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? And and I come across this all the time with people, you know, they've got, they've been told, oh, you know, you're slightly above this level, go on medication, you know, women given, given, uh, you know, antidepressants and HRT because they rock up and say they've got mood swings. I mean, come on, ditch the alcohol first. Yeah. That, that, that should first. be the first conversation. Exactly. Like, all right, how's your alcohol intake? Exactly. Because otherwise you're than... medicating on top of medication, aren't you? Yeah, and that's what I was doing. I was on four different medications. I was wow. 20 stone. Wow. Uh, I didn't exercise really. Uh, my mental health was rock bottom as well, you know. But I t- I'm going to talk to you about something else now, something I've done recently, caffeine. That comes into well-being, right? So I stopped drinking caffeine a couple of weeks ago. William's next book is about oh, caffeine. Oh, yeah, I isn't heard it? about that actually. He, he, he said me that about on, it our, on our live, on our yeah. our live uh, record, podcast recording. <laughs> he said his next one's caffeine, and we were all like, oh, no. Well, do you know what, Janie? I, I was getting real energy dips throughout the day, right? right? So, you know, I do the same job as you, coach clients and that. And you could have a couple in the morning, um, then one in the afternoon. And in between, I think I might have a power nap. And then I realized, actually, is it the coffee I'm having in the morning? And I had a test done. I've talked about it before, um, Life Code GX, about my nervous system. And they said that with caffeine, I get a spike like you would, but my come down is a lot harder. So my energy levels are really, really all over the place. So since I've stopped drinking caffeine, I've noticed such a difference. That's interesting. And yeah. I did, I did a post on it as well. And it had a huge engagement about people saying, I'm thinking about doing that next. And so it is a journey, isn't it? It's like, right. What happens after you stop drinking? You, yeah. um, then start getting into your well being and supplements and 
eating differently, exercising, and then some people vape or smoke. And for me, it was caffeine. So yeah. Yeah. I've, I've knocked that on head. It's over two weeks now. And I'm, I'm glad, I, yeah, you know, great. I'm really pleased and, and I'm going to see how it goes, but I don't plan to have it again. There's so many lovely decaf coffees now and yep, true. tea, herbal teas and stuff. So it's not like you have to deprive yourself. No, exactly. Exactly. I think it, it, it you're able to, once you stop drinking, you're able to recognize what feels good for your body. You're a bit more in tune with your body and you know what feels good. And you know what doesn't feel good. <laughs> and, and so you can start to kind of work with that. And, and the changes people make are, are just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, nobody regrets, you know, stopping drinking, do they? Nobody goes, oh, my God, I look at a picture of myself. I look so much better then. <laughs> nobody but nobody ever says that. <laughs> no, I've never heard it, actually. No. But anyway, Janie, uh, I know you're busy today, so I'm really grateful that you've popped on. Congratulations on your 2,000 days. Oh, thank you so much That's for inviting amazing. me. And it's great to, great, to, great to see you. You'll have to come and uh, do one of my um, live uh, podcast recordings because, of course, all my community are desperate to meet you. Oh, <laughs> the ones you haven't yeah. already. <laughs> I, I, I will do because I know William did one last week. Yeah, it was great so, fun. Yeah, he's a good lad. I, I, I'll hold you to that. All right, I'll come and do that. Brilliant. All right, Janie. Thanks ever so much. Take care. See you later. Bye. 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 I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon. And you can also follow me on Instagram, at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then... Thanks for listening and have a great week.